You're listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickey's on AO3. Chapter 18 The Church. Mulder ducked through the copse of trees to where Scully and William were huddled together waiting for him. They don't know where Zero is, he said by way of greeting, but they'd heard of it. Well, that's something, Scully said. The horses were dozing under a big fir tree a couple of paces off. Scully glanced toward them and looked to Mulder. Should we try to camp here tonight or keep moving? Mulder looked over his shoulder at the way he'd come. We should keep moving, he finally said. They offered me food and shelter, but they think I'm traveling alone. Scully nodded and William moved to get up. They had left the cabin five days before, heading for a series of small settlements to the north and east of Green Lake. Mulder and Scully had been to a couple of them a handful of times, but they weren't overly familiar with any of the settlers. They had only known them as occasional providers through their, through other traders of the cooperative. Mulder and Scully had no idea where exactly Zero was and were going to have to depend on asking strangers in order to find their way. They also had no way of knowing which way Ezekiel went. They could only hope it was south. So far, there was no sign that they'd been followed. They got the horses ready and climbed on asses and backs already complaining about the long days in the saddle. It was going to be an arduous and uncomfortable ride to Zero, a place they weren't even sure existed. The whole endeavor made Scully nervous. Emerging from the tree line into a wide green valley dotted with the spring's first wildflowers, Scully let Pumpkin slow to a walk so that the horse could grab mouthfuls of the tender grasses as they made their way. She heard Mulder make a horsey snicking sound from behind her, encouraging Gypsy up until he was riding side by side with Scully, William on Molly plodding along several horse lengths behind them. How's he doing? Mulder asked in a low tone. Good, I think, Scully answered, turning to steal a look at their son who sat slumped a bit in the worn brown saddle, looking more bored than anything. He'd recovered his strength, though he was still a little hesitant to use his powers. Mulder nodded. I have an idea, he said. Okay, Scully said, hoping she'd like the sound of it. We go to the end of the valley today and stop. Let the horses graze here tonight and through the morning. We can all rest up a little bit. Then tomorrow afternoon we go through the next pass and swing west, toward Arch Rock. Arch Rock? Scully said, raising her eyebrows. I think we need to hit one of the larger settlements, Mulder went on. A big town like that will have a lot of people. Someone there might know Zero, and how to get there. Plus, it's further north. We've got to head that direction anyway if what Peter told us is remotely accurate. Scully blew out a breath. People were the problem. She didn't like the idea of being around anyone after what had happened, with the strange little man at their cabin. People were stupid and easily swayed, especially in large numbers. 
and as far as she was concerned, the further they stayed away from them, the better. But Mulder was right. They'd never find Zero without a little help. I suppose we could trade for a few more supplies, too, she said reluctantly. That's the spirit, Mulder smiled at her. Scully smiled back and urged Pumpkin into a canter. The sooner they set up camp, the sooner she was out of the saddle for the day. It felt good to have a plan, even if it was one she didn't particularly like. They sat around the fire that night, quiet and contemplative. They set up their camp where the valley met the wood, the horses tied to trees on long, long leads so that they could graze in the sweet grasses to their heart's content. The sky was clear and the evening almost warm. The firmament above the valley stippled with vibrant stars, the paintbrush smear of the Milky Way almost dazzling. Mulder had sat down against a tree, his feet to the fire, and Scully had plonked down right in front of him, leaning back against him and tucking her head under his chin. The smell of wildflowers filtered toward them on the breeze, and Mulder let himself feel a brief, quiet contentment. The last few days, when the sun filtered through the trees just so, when they were ambling along with gentle clop-clop-clops, and the sun would hit the shaggy autumn heads of Scully and William, Mulder would daydream about what they could have had. He would imagine himself pressing a goblet of wine into Scully's hand as she sat at the dining room table of an unnamed house, helping William with new math. She would smile up at him with her bespectacled face canted into warm lamplight and purse her lips, fishing for a kiss. He would imagine sitting in sun-drenched bleachers watching a coach-pitched little league game, watching as his son ran through first, just like he'd showed him. He imagined handing a cup of Cheerios to a toddler and pushing a stroller through the Georgetown Farmer's Market. He would suggest they buy flowers for Mom, and the boy would point at yellow tulips and say, Dat! Then the horse under him would stumble, or Molly would appear the least bit agitated, and he'd rock it back into the present and finger the safety on his gun. He sighed. What life could have been like? Mulder tipped his nose into the fragrant head of Scully's hair and took a deep pull. It mostly smelled like her, with a hint left of the tea tree oil shampoo she'd managed to make with a little creative chemistry. He gave William a long look over the fire and then spoke. What do you miss most? Mulder asked, and the boy's head bobbed up and smiled at him, looking wistful. Mulder was fully expecting William to answer along the lines of my mom and dad, and was not quite prepared to hear it. But they didn't get to talk much while riding, and he liked to equate campfire discussions to dinner table conversations. TV, Will answered instead. Video games, cookies fresh out of the oven. I miss riding around in cars. One of the horses made a low, indignant, well-timed sound. They all chuckled. I miss coffee, Scully said, and restaurants. Her head fell back against Mulder's chest with a heavy thunk. A good cob salad. I miss deet. She swatted at a mosquito. The insects were starting to emerge into the spring. I miss baseball, Mulder said without taking his eyes off the fire. And central air conditioning. Reuben sandwiches. From Tony's, not Good Harbor. They didn't use the right bread. Scully held up a finger, nodding, agreeing with him.
William sat up, wrapping an arm around his knee, getting interested. Where's Tony's? he asked. Washington, D.C., Mulder answered, tightening his arms around Scully, pulling her in close. He missed her, too. He missed the years they'd shared before she left. The smells of her beauty products in the bathroom. The anticipation of her arriving home from work. Is that where I was born? Scully sat up, and Mulder's arms loosened around her. No, she said. You were born in a place called Democrat Hot Springs in Georgia. Have you lived there too? William asked. Scully turned to exchange a look with Mulder. He gave her the smallest of nods. It was time to tell him. No, she said. We haven't. William got a look about him, a head tilt and an eyebrow raise, something that reminded Mulder so much of Scully that he felt a pang of something both despairing and joyful behind his chest. Do you, Mulder started, remember us telling you that the events surrounding your birth were complicated? William helpfully finished for him. Mulder and Scully both nodded at him. When your mom went into labor, we were being pursued. Mulder said. Pursued? William looked confused. Scully cleared her throat. Let's go back a little bit, she said, and she proceeded to explain to William some of the things that she and Mulder had encountered in their time with the FBI. Everything they knew about the alien conspiracy with the men of the syndicate, about the super soldiers and the magnetite, and how a group of them had gathered to bear witness to his birth disappearing into the ether once Monica Reyes had placed William gently on Scully's chest. Why did they leave? We never knew, said Mulder. Because they're after me now, William said. Scully sat up. What do you mean they're after you? You've seen them? How do you know? William cracked his knuckles and stared into the fire. I told you I killed one once. With magnetite? Scully nodded, and Mulder leaned forward to listen, too. It was a night like this, William said, and I had made a friend on the road, Dan. She was a little older than me, but she was nice. Really cool. She helped me find food. The firelight played off his hair, and Mulder thought for a moment that his son looked really far away. A man came to the fire, surprised us. I didn't feel him coming. I know how the super soldiers feel now, but then I didn't. Anyway, like I said, he surprised us, told me they'd been looking for me. You specifically? Scully asked. Me, specifically, William clarified. We ran, tried to get away, but he found us. He told me he needed me to come with him. The boy sat for a moment, silently. Then he looked up at both of his parents. He killed Dan and I killed him. Scully made a hesitant move to get up, paused, and then rose, making her way around the fire to William's side, where she sat next to him, not touching him, but offering him her support. William, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for your friend. I'm sorry for everything you've had to endure. And I'm more sorry that you know that you've had to do so much of it alone. I know you're looking for answers, and that we don't have many to give, but I promise you we will. I don't know why the three of us were burdened with the weight of these imponderable things, 
If your father and I could have spared you any of it, we would have. But she looked over at Mulder, and he gave her an encouraging nod. I will spend the rest of my life, we will spend the rest of our lives, helping you carry the load and trying to figure out why you, why us. William nodded slowly and then sniffed. After a moment, he leaned toward Scully and rested his head on her shoulder. Meeting Mulder's eyes over the fire, she wrapped an arm around the boy's shoulder and pulled him in toward her. The fire crackled and popped. In the woods behind them, an owl gave a long, low hoot. He felt like all they ever did now was look at each other over the top of a campfire, look over their shoulder from the back of a horse. What don't you miss? he asked after a long silence, needing to feel better about their lot in life. Leaf blowers at 8 a.m., Scully said definitively. Waking up and going to school, William sniffed lifting his head from Scully's shoulder. I don't miss taxes, said Mulder, and I don't miss wishing I could watch my son grow up. I won't miss that feeling at all. William tucked his chin to his chest, blushing and looking pleased. He looked just like his mother. Five ball, corner pocket. It was going to be the easiest 20 bucks Ezekiel had ever made. Dwight Monroe could never make a bank shot. Pool, basketball, didn't matter. He failed geometry and he would fail this. He couldn't make the shot. Not if his life depended on it, especially then. Dwight had blown it at the free throw line more times than Ez could count in high school, even though it was only JV. The guy didn't know a hypotenuse from a vertice and he couldn't handle pressure. Ez decided to toy with him a little just for fun. I'm thinking I'd like to collect in fives, he said, taking a long pull from his pint of Bud Light. Get fucked, said Dwight, leaning down to line up his shot. The bar was smoky, but that was nothing new, despite the fact that the new state law about smoking in restaurants had gone into effect two months before, a caustic haze hung around the dim lights that hung over the pool table. I might, said Ezekiel. Your girlfriend gave me her number last week. Dwight straightened. You're ruining my concentration, Ez. Go get me a beer or shut the fuck up. Ezekiel laughed. Next round's on you when you miss the shot, Dwight. I ain't going nowhere. Dwight glared at him, but bent back over the table, concentrating hard. A deep breath, and then he pulled back and crack. The cue ball clacked into the five and sent it sideways. It was going to be inches off. Just as it was about to hit the side of a table and win as $20, a low rumble shook the floor hard under Ezekiel's feet, jolting the whole of the bar. The five ball jumped sideways and down it went into the corner pocket. Dwight gave a shout of celebration, holding the cue stick up in the smoky air. Hey, that don't count, Ezekiel said barely noticing that the low rumbling was still vibrating through the floor. Like hell it don't, Dwight shouted, his face turning querulous. Boys, shouted Kelly from behind the bar. Ezekiel turned to promise her that they wouldn't fight, but she was staring at the TV above the bar. Her mouth dropped wide open in a shocked expression. That's twenty bucks, says, Dwight called from across the table, 
but Ezekiel ignored him and wandered closer to the bar to try to see what had caught Kelly's attention. She had the remote in her hand and was turning the volume up as loud as it would go. There was a live report from CNN airing, and the camera was focusing on a field reporter, illuminated only by the high-beam light behind the camera. The reporter had one hand held over his ear. The other was holding a microphone. It showed up in the sky over Washington about 15 minutes ago, Linda, and I'm hearing from other sources that there are other ships in the air above both southern Maryland and northern Virginia. In fact, yes, I'm hearing from my producer that there are confirmed sightings of these ships up and down the eastern seaboard and... What's that, Eric? Yes, reports from the west coast are reporting ships there as well. Now we don't know who they belong to or what they want, but the White House did release a statement. The reporter kept droning on, but the camera had swung up to focus on what appeared to be a flying saucer hanging dully in the air above the National Mall. And right then, Ezekiel stopped listening. Holy shit, said Kelly, who tossed down the remote on the bar and ducked out under it, grabbing her purse and trotting out the side door into the parking lot. Ez watched her go. Then the low vibration in the floor of the bar increased in power, and Ez exchanged one look with Dwight, and both of them ran out the same side door, Dwight still holding his cue stick. And Kelly's old green Saturn's tires chirped as she peeled out of the bar parking lot and onto Westchester. Ezekiel watched her taillights heading east, and that's when he saw it, moving low along MLK. A ship, an actual little green men, goddamn flying saucer, just like the ones from the CNN report in Washington. This one was more than halfway across the country, was moving slowly toward the intersection of MLK and Westchester, and right toward Ezekiel Barrow and his dumbass friend Dwight Monroe. What the fuck, Ez? Dwight said. I don't know, man, Ezekiel said. The ground was still vibrating under them, and then the ship stopped, right at the intersection with the bar on one side and a Sunoco and a Baptist church on the other. It stopped, and the vibration under their feet stopped at the same moment. Dwight took a few steps toward it, his head tilted in curiosity. Dwight don't, Ez said, his stomach a mass of nerves and cheap beer. He felt like he might throw up. He was frozen in fear. Hey, Ez, look, Dwight said a moment later, and he was pointing toward the pavement under the ship, which didn't look quite right. It was shimmery and dark, and the moon shone off of it like they had a hard rain, even though the radio said they were still in the middle of an historic drought. What is it? Ezekiel said, squinting his eyes and trying to make sense of what he was seeing. Dwight took another few steps. The wet of the pavement was moving toward them. Ez took a step back. When the wetness, or whatever it was, reached Dwight, he looked down at it curiously, then lifted his right foot up. The substance stuck to his shoe like slick mud, the kind you'd lose a boot to in a marsh. Dwight? Ezekiel called out. Dwight slowly lowered his foot back to the earth, and a moment later, the pool cue fell from his hand and clattered to the pavement. The slick, dark muck was pooled around Dwight's feet, but some was still headed toward Ezekiel. Ez took a step back, but he couldn't take his eyes off his friend. Dwight, he called out again, and Dwight turned him slowly. When he blinked at Ez, 
It looked like his eyes were entirely black. Ezekiel shouted and stumbled backwards, slamming his hip into a parked Ford. He bounced off of it and started running when another low rumbling began beneath his feet and a second ship materialized in the sky, directly above the one from which the dark muck had come. A moment later, there was a blinding flash, and the side of the dark muck ship exploded in a plume of fire and sound. The ship listed momentarily in the air and then crashed to the earth with an apocalyptic boom, sending chunks of asphalt up and into the sky. The impact sent Ezekiel flying roughly twenty yards, and his shoulder slammed into the ground hard, knocking the wind out of him. When he felt like he could sit up a few moments later, his ears ringing loudly, he slowly took stock of his body. His entire right side was sore, but it didn't seem like anything was broken. The saucer was lying where it had crashed on MLK, one side of it ablaze in a bright conflagration. Ezekiel pushed himself to his knees and then up slowly to his feet, stumbling. He must have hit his head, he thought for a second. His balance was off. His right foot hit pavement, but his left foot squished into something. He looked down. It was the substance from the ship, but it wasn't like mud after all, but more like oil, slick and black as the night. It began crawling up his shoe unnaturally, and he took off running again, crossing Westchester without even looking. A red pickup truck honked liberally and flew past him and Ezekiel barely noticed. There was a weird feeling under his skin, making its way up his left leg, faster and faster until it felt like there were ants crawling under the hole of his skin. He screamed and stumbled up the steps of the building in front of him, crashing through the door blindly, stumbling forward. He could no longer see, his vision a swirling mass of black and colored light, and every time he blinked it made the effect worse. He fell to the ground. Then, almost at once, the ant-crawling feeling stopped and his entire body tensed. He felt, for a moment, as strong and powerful as a colossus. A spirited, bright feeling like a surge of sunlight was coursing through his hands and feet and out through his fingers and toes and then pain, gut-wrenching pain. He doubled over, his stomach heaving, his eyes watering, but it wasn't tears coming forth but that thick mucus-like oil streaming from his eyes and down his face. He vomited forcefully, a bubble-like spew, a wash of the caustic oil coming up from inside of him, burning his throat and scorching his mouth. He vomited and vomited, and all at once it was over, and he fell sideways onto the floor, a pool of flaccid sickly goop lying inert at his knees. Ezekiel laid there for several minutes, struggling for breath at first, his lungs and eyes on fire. He coughed, spit, coughed again. When he seemed to be getting a little air, he sat up and wiped at his eyes uselessly. He blinked, trying to get the gunk out of him, feeling weak and ragged, the noxious smell of the oil in front of him making him gag. Finally, he sat back on his heels, coughed one more time, and wiped his gummy eyes clear. When they finally fluttered open, the first thing he saw in a bright shaft of overhead light, was a towering crucifix. Nailed to it, crying what almost looked like real tears for the suffering that Ezekiel had just endured, was the heavenly face and the holy body of Jesus Christ.
If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.